This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Hey, good Saturday morning to you. Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM and 1025 FM KQAM. It is a Saturday morning. Great to have you wake up with us this morning, get you up and moving for the day. Finally had a little bit of weather, it looks like. I don't know. I, I Where I live, I didn't get anything, so I didn't know anything happened. But it sounds like maybe some stuff happened, and it's going to be another hot week coming up again. Uh, are you all prepared already for this 95-degree weather? Because it's finally here. We've been waiting for it, and now it's finally here. Are you enjoying that kind of weather? Welcome into Kansas Talk. Great to have you along for the ride today on a Saturday morning. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, I would love to hear from you today. And, boy, do we have a big show lined up for you today. At the bottom of this hour, we uh, sat down with Senator Roger Marshall yesterday to chat with him about the latest out of Washington, D.C., and some really, really interesting stuff. And I got to say, I am so happy. I am loving. I am so proud. I am so happy with what Senator Marshall is doing up in Washington, D.C. We uh, He is such a fighter. He's doing such a great job. We appreciate it. He's on all the media outlets. Uh, you can hear him on all the national talk shows, uh, which we don't hear from our other senator in the state of Kansas conveniently, but he is fighting. He's all over the media, and he uh, anytime we ask, he makes the time to come and sit with us for a few minutes as well, and we love it, and we appreciate it so very much. So Senator Roger Marshall will be talking about some of the infrastructure package out of Washington, D.C. We'll talk about Fauci's emails that were released over the last week. Also, we'll talk a little bit about the, uh, the southern border, Kamala Harris because her name is Kamala Harris, and what's going on with the immigration issue in the country. So Senator Roger Marshall uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, and we're looking forward to that interview. In the 10 o'clock hour, super excited this uh, today, Andrew Wines. He is with the Wichita Chamber of Commerce. He'll be joining us as we talk about the city beginning to open back up for the summertime after the COVID-19 stuff, how businesses are uh, responding to the lack of the job or the lack of at least workers, the labor shortage that we have in the country and in the city right now, what we can do to get things back open, the lack of COVID regulations and uh, the just the state of many businesses in the city based on uh, what they've had to go through over the last year with COVID. So looking forward to talking with Andrew next hour with the Wichita Chamber of Commerce. Then, I'm super excited in studio with us as well, Gail Goolsby. She is uh, a local author here in the Wichita area, author of the book Unveiled Truth, and talking about her experience being a teacher in Afghanistan and uh, their experience, her and her husband's experience over there, what they've done, and all that. So looking forward to chatting with her in studio at the bottom of next hour to wrap up the program. So, But until then, it's open lines to you right now at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. Now, I have to admit, we got way overbooked on guests because I have a lot more that I want to be playing and want to be doing. And so get ready. You're not going to miss the next few weeks here on Candace Talk because we have some really, really cool stuff. As you know, Dan Bongino, hopefully you've been enjoying, uh, enjoying the Dan Bongino show here on the KQAM Airwaves live 11 to 2 middays. Really awesome program. Love hearing it. Absolutely love listening to it every day. We got to sit down and chat with Dan, or we're planning on sitting on ch- uh, chatting with Dan Bongino. We're going to play that interview on the show next week. We were going to try and do it this week. He got busy. We got busy. We didn't get a chance, and I was already booked this week. So we're going to do that next week. 
So stay tuned in for that. Also, we're going to have Congressman Ron Estes next week as well, along with some other stuff. It's going to be really cool. Oh, and I'm super excited. Dr. Devin Verano will be with us next week. She's a local chiropractor and acupuncturist, kind of a holistic medicine individual advocating for holistic medicines, alternative medicine styles. And we're going to talk about that, how it relates to COVID, trying to make yourself healthy, and a huge event she's got coming up in a couple of weeks called The Big Idea that has a lot of nationally renowned individuals coming in talking about alternative medicines, holistic medicines that I've been really getting on board with. And uh, I found out about some of this stuff. And then I met her, and I'm super excited to chat with her. So she's going to be in next, uh, next week as well for a while to talk about all of those industries. So, uh, and then the next week we're already booked out. We're booked out like four weeks right now on Candace Talk, which I'm super excited about. So you're not going to want to miss any of this, but it's open lines to you. We have a lot to get to all presented by Phil's coins, by the way, 9344 West central Avenue, uh, for all your buying, selling and trading of honest, uh, of all your gold and silver with honesty and integrity. They're opening up in about 20 minutes right now. They're open until two 30 this afternoon. Also online at philscoins.com. If you're looking for gold and silver, He's kind of the place to be. He's about the only place in the Mid-America region, not just the state of Kansas, but really the entire region that actually has silver on hand right now with such a demand for it, which is really wild. And we've talked with him about why there's such a demand right now, and he just can't keep it in stock. And he's gonna, he's on like every order that he makes takes like two to three to four weeks for him to actually receive it. So it's pretty wild. So if you're looking for your gold and silver, go and check out Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. They're open in about 40, uh, 20 minutes here, and then they'll be open until 2.30 this afternoon. There's a lot I want to get to today. We have the governor asking for an extension of the disaster declaration. Now, as you know, the new LCC uh, uh, the leaders of the legislature have to look at that and have to, based on the new rules they passed with the Emergency Declaration Act uh, or the Management Act here in the state of Kansas, that the governor has to have everything approved by the LCC. Now, she asked for the extension through the end of June, and that didn't happen. They passed it to allow it to extend on June 15th. So as of Tuesday next week, we are out of an emergency declaration in the state of Kansas. What does that mean? That means the Kansas National Guard is not able to help out with the distribution of COVID-19 vaccines, which some are like, okay. <laughs> There's not a lot of uh, interest in the vaccine any longer. Everybody that's really wanted it has gotten it, and now they're just trying to find new and incentive ways to try and buy people off to get it, which we talked about last week, and I don't want to really go down that road today because we've talked about COVID quite a bit. But what does it mean with the ending of the emergency declaration? That means that we cannot use state resources any longer to help with testing or distribution. They Now, the state will still have the mobile testing sites for COVID-19, but resources like the Kansas National Guard will not be able to help with the distribution of said vaccine or tests or that sort of thing. At the same time, we won't be getting as much money from the federal government, which is why the politicians are all up in arms about the ending of the emergency declaration uh, because they want more money coming in. And I want to talk about that in just a minute. Do you realize how much money is coming into the state of Kansas to the state itself, to the health department, to different counties, to different cities, to different school boards? How much money is coming into each one of these levels of quote-unquote government uh, from for COVID relief? What are we using it for, and why the hell are we getting this much money? It's really because the federal government wanted to say we want to spend as much money as possible, and if you don't support us spending as much money as possible, then you obviously want people to die in the streets from COVID. You obviously don't really care about people because we need to get these resources out to the states and to the cities 
and to the counties and to the school boards. So if you don't support these ridiculously absurd bills, then obviously you just don't care about humanity because you want people to die in the streets. Well, now they have way too much money. They don't know what to do with it. They're giving it to cities, just a blank check and saying, do whatever you want to do with this stuff. And just like we talked about with Brian Fry with city council uh, last week, we really mentioned, well, what are we doing? Well, we're going to do some infrastructure. We're going to try and build some new buildings. We're going to try and clean up some stuff that we've been wanting to do. We're going to work on trying to pay some of this off. Uh, so they're using it for non-COVID-related issues. But they're justifying it by saying, well, we need to repave this road so that way we can properly be able to take the tests to and from the locations that we need to. So therefore, we need better infrastructure in the state and in the city, and therefore we need to repave the roads. That's not COVID-related. We're wasting taxpayer money, and we're doing it by the billions. So we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But Governor Kelly wanting to extend that, why? Why does she want to extend it? We'll talk about that in just a second, plus some of the money coming through as well. But it's all open lines to you at 316-721-8255. Let's kick it off with a phone call, shall we? Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, Andy. It's Sean. Sean, what's going on, sir? Hey, man. Just having some coffee and listening to your show. Hey, well, we love hey, uh, that. <laughs> hey, I, I, found a, I found a way to get rich this time that's just, you know, Gonna make me rich beyond my wildest dreams, and it's foolproof. <laughs> okay, what you got? I'm gonna steal the identity of a deceased Mexican. I'm gonna move down to Mexico and become a human trafficker. <laughs> I'm telling you, human traffickers are making up to two hundred thousand dollars right now under the Biden administration. Part time work, you only got to work two or three days. You just smuggle a couple people up, you get fifteen hundred dollars a pop, and you're good to go. Well. You know, I don't think that these people understand the gravity of the situation that they're in, or the or, or the gravity of their their position. Now, the, there was it was a waste of taxpayers' money for uh, Tommy Harris to go down to Guatemala, and she she won't even go to the border. Well, she the went down to Guatemala got, and got kicked out of it because people didn't even want her there. Yeah. Well, she got a lot of nerve calling her trip a success when it was a big, fat failure. But uh, these people, Biden, you know, they caused this problem down there. And, of course, this problem uh, had been around for a long time. And Trump managed to get put a stop to a lot of it, you know, just uh, illegal border crossings and, and whatnot and building that wall. And uh, Biden uh, gets in there and he stops it now we got this problem all over again it's as bad as it was if not worse than it was when uh, uh when trump got elected and started doing something about it and the the the, the problems that result the, the the flow of drugs into this country now do these people not have any fear of god whatsoever especially when they take an oath and and and, and whereby they swear in his name that they're going to protect and defend the country, you know, so help me God. Well, to them, to them words, words don't matter to them. It's about the personal agenda. They have the power now. They wanted the power. They got the power, so they don't care about anything else. And while they say they do things for the people, they really do it for their own personal benefit. So if they can go down to Guatemala to meet elected officials, they're a success because they're part of the elite that got to go and do that, regardless of the peasants that are protesting outside the, in the streets. They don't really care about them. When it's talking about trying to bring – I mean, uh, she can say one thing and do something else, which – 
happens at all levels of government, by the way, because, you know, no one's, you know, immune to this when you're in uh, a, a position of power in any way, shape or form. But when you say we're n- we're going to turn people away at the border that are here illegally, but yet we have uh, we have facilities that are at a seven or eight hundred percent capacity, then, you know, that's just not true. But how long until people recognize that from their side of the aisle that actually believe them? When they say, wait a second, either we're mad because you said you're going to turn people away because we believe in open borders, or wait, you said you're going to turn people away, but yet we have a max capacity facility at an 800% capacity. So what are we doing about this? And the fact that she won't go to the border means she just doesn't care. I mean, at least Lauren Boebert, congresswoman out of Colorado, took her down there in a cardboard cutout form to give her a tour of the border because that's about the only time we're going to see Kamala Harris down at the southern border. A cardboard cutout, that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, anyway, let me ask you, um, how are we going to be this July, 246 years old or something? Yeah, yeah, we're getting there. Well, I'm I'm, uh, I'm 56, okay, and history obviously repeats itself. You know, uh, <clears throat> maybe not every form, uh, but it, it it clearly repeats itself. And I'm just curious, why is it that in the 200 and almost 50 years that this country has been around, in the 56 years that I've been in it, the only good decade that I've ever seen is the decade of the eighties, which I'm glad I got to, uh, got to live through. Sure. Because things seems like things always have to suck throughout, throughout, uh, throughout history. And then you get that one air, you get that one spot in time where things are going good for a while. It was, it really was great guns in the eighties compared to, before then. And well, come on, you had Reagan rock and things. I unfortunately didn't get to experience a lot of that. Yeah, well, thank God for uh, uh, documentaries and and whatnot. You can uh, watch his, uh, you know, uh, speeches and and whatnot. But uh, you know, it just it just really galls me that uh, things have to. You know, I've noticed that the more technology improves, you know, the more advanced we get technologically, the worse things get, the worse our culture gets. Um, people today are are. I just put it to you like this. You know, all the all the all the things that Jesus talked about, and he didn't have to go into detail when it come to the signs of his uh, his uh, return, uh, <clears throat> which would which doesn't mean I don't think the second coming. It just means the uh, he's going to come and uh, evacuate his, uh, his brothers and sisters off the planet. You know, the believers before uh, uh, tribulation begins, so that tribulation can get started, but. Uh, uh, you know the things he talked about <clears throat> sound pretty crazy, but good lord, man! Right now it's just like for crap's sake, man! This stuff is insane. Well, how much hard. more insane? Yeah, I, I believe that things can get worse before they get better, and that, that's because that's always been the case. But I guess some days I just think we ain't got a chance in hell, man. Because every time I see a light at the end of the tunnel, the damn thing goes out. Yeah, well, it's hard. It's hard. Sean, I appreciate the call. I, I got to take a break here, but uh, no, you're right. Now, here's the thing. I mean, the issues that we've talked about this on the program before, the issues that we have are different in a sense with technology, with the evolution of society and the things that we have and the materialistic goods that we have. I mean, in the different problems, 
they're different, but they're the same. I mean, they're the same basic conceptual issues that we've had throughout humanity that we always seem to debate about and bicker about throughout society. Uh, It's just in a different form. I mean, technology really comes down to privacy, which has always been an issue. It comes down to control, which has always been an issue. It comes down to uh, regulation, which has always been an issue. So it's just done in a different flavorful way. And it's whether we can remember those core values, which is why conservatives, you know, they say conservatives need to get with the times. Conservatives are with the times. We take the current times and we relate them to what the core principles are. As long as I have my life, my liberty, and my private property, I'm good, man. But that's always the battle is do we get to preserve that or are they trying to find new and unique ways to take that stuff away? So, Sean, I appreciate it. It's a great conversation and I appreciate that very much. We'll take a break here. 22 minutes past the hour. When we come back, I want to get your phone calls. I want to talk about this money coming into the state of Kansas from COVID-19 relief, the extension of the emergency declaration in the state. Should we extend the emergency or is the emergency over? Can we get back to normal? Can we stop the funding? Can we stop the pandemic? Can we stop the chaos? Can we stop the turmoil because of COVID? Or do we need to continue this on just a little bit longer? We'll talk about that and more when we come back here on Candace Talk on the Big Talker KQAM. Twenty-seven minutes past the hour. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Happy Saturday morning. Let's get you up and moving for the day, shall we? 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, we'd love to hear from you today. Your thoughts. The amount of money coming in from the federal government to the state of Kansas to rural communities is really kind of crazy right now. Just to put it in perspective, let me see if I can find this for you here. Real quick, so the federal government under the latest COVID-19 relief package, while they're trying to figure out um, how to spend the money because they really have run out of ideas on how to spend the money, so they're trying to find new and unique ways to spend the money, are giving it to the quote-unquote rural communities all over the country, including here in the state of Kansas. There's $167 million coming into the state for Uh, specifically rural communities, meaning there's 614 communities across the the state of Kansas that will be receiving federal funds uh, for populations less than 50,000 individuals in those communities. That it's going to be roughly like $151 per individual. So to break that down, just for some of the local towns outside of the city of Wichita, now the city of Wichita received close to like $74, $75 million. Just here you go, $75 million. What are we going to do with this? I don't know, spend it. And we have to spend it wisely because if we try to increase the bureaucratic state, if we try to hire more employees, if we try to expand the agencies in the, in the city, then that's all great and nice now. But five years from now, when that money kind of dries up, then what are we going to do? Because we can't sustain that. So then we would have to talk about either downsizing again, which, huh, try and get a government, uh, a government agency to downsize, or you're going to have to raise taxes. That's the only options you have. Or you have to find new revenue sources, which is raising taxes or raising taxes, <laughs> either on individuals or on businesses or trying to bring new business in to tax them. It's all tax because that's how government gets their money. So the big question is, is it worth it? Because there's a lot, a lot of communities around here getting a lot of money. The city of Goddard is set to receive from federal COVID-19 relief is set to receive $727,000, according to KSN News. We have Andover receiving $2.03 million. 
Derby receiving $3.784 million from COVID-19. Just federal government handing them a check saying, here you go. Now, the cities are ecstatic. They love the idea. Oh, we can do this, and we can do this, and we can do this program, and we can do this. We've been waiting to do this, and we got to do this. That's nice, but should we? Again, there's a difference between can we and should we for the moral value of it and from the tax money coming in that really is your taxpayer money being filtered through the federal government coming back to the city in a very uh, odd fashion. Is this what we should be doing to lower the value of the dollar nationwide to be giving out money just because we have it allotted to this unnecessarily? We'll talk about some more of that when we come back. Plus, U.S. Senator Roger Marshall, he'll be with us right after the bottom of the hour. All right here on Candace Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. Listening to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 1025 FMK, QAM. Thanks for hanging out with us here on a Saturday morning, getting you up and moving for the day. It's hot outside, so if you're going to do your outdoor doings, now is the time to do it before it gets to that mid 90 degrees. This has been a very warm, <laughs> a very warm last week or so. And I'm trying to adjust. I'm still doing the cold shower therapies. I'm still trying to keep the body temperature cool because that feels really good. And it's really hard to do when it's 95 degrees outside. Not to mention baseball season is here. So you can hear, of course, the Wichita wind surge on our sports station, KGSO. 1410 on the AM dial, 93.9 on the FM dial. Little voice of reason, she's actually starting her coach pitch this year for the first time ever, which is awesome. They've been having fun with their baseball games. I'm helping coach their team just a little bit assisting on the side while i can and it's pretty exciting uh because there's uh, i think they're having fun although the seven-year-olds uh, <laughs> last night we had a game and they literally i don't know what it was i don't know if it was because it was hot i don't know if they're just not quite grasping the excitement and the intensity i don't know what it was but they would literally see the other team would hit the ball and it would roll right past them they just stand there and watch it and let the ball roll right on past what are you doing so we got to work on that a little bit. But nonetheless, I think they're having fun, and it's always a good time to uh, get into baseball season. As you know, I'm not the biggest sports guy in the world. I entertain it. I played sports a little bit growing up as well, and I appreciate that, especially at the younger age. Not necessarily the older age. I, I really don't watch Major League Baseball. I don't watch football. I don't watch basketball. The only sport I really watch is the UFC and fighting because that's kind of entertaining. And because Dana White's a very solid conservative, he's a big Trump supporter, the organization fought against the COVID stuff over the last year and said, fine, you're not going to let us host events. We're just going to buy an island and we're just going to keep our fights going because to hell with you. So I give them big respects as opposed to the NFL, who's cowered to the woke community there, as opposed to Major League Baseball, who cowered to the woke community there as well after the whole thing in Georgia with the election laws, uh, with basketball that's had major issues. I just don't, I can't watch them. I can't financially support them based on my ratings with turning on the TV or based on spending money. I just can't do it. So I'll spend my money with an organization that will support the ideals that I have. Isn't it sad that we live in a world like that? It really is sad that we can't just enjoy things because everything's got to be politicized. But yet, welcome to 2020. You know, that 2020 was crazy. Welcome to 2021 because now it's a whole new world in not the best way. All right. 
I want to shift gears a little bit. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. All of it presented right here on KQAM by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. They are officially open right now. They open, they'll be open until 2.30 this afternoon. You can visit them also online at philscoins.com for all of your buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. You want that emergency fund. You want to be concerned because the dollar may lose value. You just want it because you found a really cool coin. You want some ancient coins. I have a couple of those ancient coins, and they're awesome. They're like 10 20 bucks. You don't have to, when you talk about these things, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars. You can spend $20 on a silver round, and you can just put it in your savings and just stash it away for a time of need where you feel like maybe I'm going to spend it on like a burger, and then instead, you know what, maybe I'll just stash it away. Maybe you want an ancient coin because why the heck not have a coin from the Roman era? He gets those in quite a bit as well. So it's really cool. Check him out, philscoins.com, also at 9344 West Central Avenue. All right, we sat down with U.S. Senator Roger Marshall just a few days ago. Yesterday, actually, we sat down with him to chat about the latest out of Washington, D.C. There's big news if you have not heard out of Washington, D.C. with the uh, Fauci emails. What does that change? Now, for some, they're like, it doesn't change anything, Andy. It's still a virus. We still need to be concerned and we still need to get the vaccine. Okay, but it changes a lot because it changes the entire perspective that we've had over this last year. We realize that cloth masks are 100% useless. Let me repeat that. The cloth masks that's trying to be handed out at stores when you walk into a store because we had the mask mandate, uh, not most of them now, but some of them still, uh, the mask cloth or the cloth mask that you wore when you walked into a store, 100% useless. The emails confirm that under Fauci. We found out the origin of it was actually engineered, and he was aware of that engineering, and then he tried to suppress that moving forward. That's big news. That's big. We need to be talking about that because to understand the origins, make sure we can understand where, where this happened, whether it was a natural, oh, darn, we just got caught by another virus that the world created because Mother Nature was tired of us and wanted to kill some of us off, or whether it's because there were evil people doing stupid things. And obviously the latter happened and he was involved with it. At the same time, we found that the hydroxychloroquine did have a good chance of actually working. And the fact that uh, we that was suppressed and they were demon any doctor that mentioned that was absolutely demonized is, uh, you know, just a cause for concern because there's an agenda there as opposed to just trying to take care of you. So we talk about all that. We talk about some infrastructure issues. We talk about the immigration issue with U.S. Senator Roger Marshall when we sat down with him yesterday, and this is what he had to say. Senator Roger Marshall with us. Senator, how are you, my friend? Andy, it's great to talk to you, and just thanks for uh, your words of encouragement and all the prayers of your listeners. Uh, I, I truly do fill them up here. We've got a lot of work to get done but just always appreciate the words of encouragement. Well, it's always good to see you out there and see you on all these other media outlets trying to keep us informed because there's not a lot of good news from the media half the time, so it's good to see you out there. Because, I mean, just this this week we saw a big bust of emails come out from Dr. Fauci. We see a lot of the shenanigans that's been going on with the COVID pandemic right now. You've talked about some of this stuff, but, I mean, are we, are we seeing a change in paradigm here with the COVID pandemic from the lies, the manipulation, some of the sleaziness that we've seen from Dr. Fauci? You know, absolutely, Andy. I, I think that these uh, emails really point out the hypocrisy. Uh, they point out the inconsistencies, and in many cases, I think just the downright frank deceit of the President of the United States and the American public. I think that these emails very clearly show that uh, Dr. Fauci started to cover up really early on. Uh, the reason he's covering up is because he helped fund 
uh, gain-of-function research that, that possibly led to this virus. Uh, they immediately uh, decided just to, to take, just to assume that this virus came from nature. That's what they wanted to prove. They threw out everything that, that you and I were taught back in high school about a scientific method of listing all the possibilities. They started off the research saying, look, this had to come from nature. There was no chance it came from the lab. I think the emails clearly point that. And uh, we can talk more about the emails, but boy, it sure looks like the start of what I'm going to call Batgate, the cover-up of the, of the, of the Wuhan lab leak. Uh, so it, it's it's very very concerning. It is very concerning, and as as some of the emails showed, was that some even said, "Well, yeah, you know, maybe it came from a bat, but it was definitely engineered," which he tried to suppress. I mean, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to look at some of those, being a doctor yourself, if other doctors have gotten a chance to look at the actual breakdown of the virus. But is it evident for many doctors to look and see? Oh, yeah, that was engineered in a lab. There's no way this thing came from nature. Oh, there's, there's plenty of evidence, and I've been shouting about this really for, for well over a year. You know, my, my search in this started way back in January of 2020. And the, the first concern I had is that China, communist China, said that this was not person-to-person -person transmission. And I said, well, obviously, it's in four different countries. This is person-to-person -person transmission. And I asked myself, why is the CDC letting him get by with this? I set up a phone call with the CDC. It took them a week to get back with me. And by then, they said, we have scientists in, in uh, China looking into this. I talked to the CDC, and they said, well, we don't really have scientists in Wuhan, but they're in Beijing, and they're waiting to get the reports back from China. So bells went off, and, and, and since that day, since you know, the end of January 2020, I've been looking into this. But to answer your question, look, it's really, really clear that Dr. Fauci funded research uh, that, that slapped a protein spike on the original SARS virus. So in North, a North Carolina lab, uh, working in conjunction with Dr. Xi in this Wuhan land in China, they slapped a protein spike on the original SARS virus that made it stick like glue to the human lung receptors, right? And then they took it even further uh, and made it more, just more infective and, and able to specifically attack human cells. So it's interesting to me the Chinese say, look, this came from bats, uh, but this particular virus, COVID-19, loves humans, but it doesn't like bats. It does not infect bats. The Chinese have had 17 months to show us an intermediate host. And, and again, Andy, I don't know how much you want to dive into this, but I could just go on and on. The, the, the evidence that would suggest that this was manufactured, this virus was manufactured in a laboratory in Wuhan. Wow, unbelievable. Now, the big question is, are we going to see repercussions come from that? Will Dr. Fauci step down? I know there's a movement right now to call for his resignation or to ask President Joe Biden to make him uh, to fire him and to make him step down. But is that going to happen or do people on the other side of the aisle just not care? Well, Andy, it looks like President Biden's doubling down. Um, so believe it or not, St. Anthony is the most popular Democrat in the country right now. He's more popular than the president of the United States. So they're going to defend him. Uh, but, but this is what I would tell you and your listeners. You know, I, I moved to Great Bend, Kansas, started my obstetrical practice 25 years ago. And I was sitting down with one of my mentors, a person who became a very close friend, an orthopedic surgeon. And he had all these little sayings. And one of them was, he said, Roger, if a doctor loses his reputation, they never get it back. And I don't have to tell you, Dr. Fauci's lost his reputation. Uh, he will be of little good to the president. Uh, I think they should be planning Dr. Fauci's retirement party right now. But he does serve at the pleasure of the president. But certainly I don't think America trusts him anymore. 
He's still living that celebrity life. We're talking with Senator Roger Marshall from right here in the state of Kansas. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about this infrastructure bill. Uh, we saw the news come out yesterday that some of the Democrats are willing to compromise and negotiate on the infrastructure plan. They want to go from the $2 trillion down to whatever else may be happening. Uh, we heard some words come from Pete Buttigieg with Secretary of Transportation. Where are we with this bill? How much is it going to potentially be? And is it going to end up being a decent bill or is it still a disaster? Well, Andy, I sure think the White House and the Senate are very far apart. Uh, the, the president walked away from a deal pretty close to this uh, that Sen Senator Shelley Moore Capito gave him. So she, he walked away from something very, very similar. Everyone has great ideas on how to spend infrastructure, and certainly the folks in Kansas, we all know uh, that going back to 2008, that uh, our roads and bridges were put on hold, why social programs were, were em emphasized, right? So we're in desperate need for infrastructure. But the problem is uh, the White House wants to make this a Green New Deal bill, and they want to make it a raise your taxes bill. So we're very, it's always the argument is how we're going to pay for this, right? The Republicans and even now the Democrats that we're working with, Senator Manchin, Senator Cinema, they want to repurpose some of the, the money that we had in all these COVID relief bills. Uh, so we've appropriated $8 trillion for COVID relief. A lot of that money is not going to be spent for the next two to five years. We would like to repurpose those monies in the infrastructure. But the White House plan, of course, is to raise your taxes. So even though I have confidence that the Senate Democrats will work in good faith with Senate Republicans, I'm going to assume that the radical left is going to walk away from this because they want this to be about the Green New Deal, uh, the social takeover of energy policy for this country. That's very concerning, and I'd like them to walk away from this discussion at all because just talking about the amount of money we've spent over the last year with COVID, with infrastructure now, with the potential American Families Plan, all this other stuff that Biden wants, I, I cringe with how much money is going out the door and how inflation is going to be affected, how the value of the dollar is going to be going down. So if we're going to do a package, it's got to be efficient. And I'm just worried on what this is going to look like. Andy, you're spot on. So when I go to bed at night, what am I worried about? I'm worried about our national debt. I'm worried that this president wants to borrow another $8 trillion. Okay, this president wants to borrow $8 trillion. That's his plan over the next two years is to borrow $8 trillion from your grandchildren. Uh, this is leading to inflation. Now, the White House is saying there's no inflation, but I don't know if you've been to the grocery store lately or if you filled your car up with gas or, or your truck. Uh, but but uh, obviously there's inflation happening, and, we're, and if we continue to print money, it's just going to drive inflation up more. This president's policies are leading to inflation. Uh, people are not going back to work. That's creating bottlenecks in supply chains, driving up the price of goods and services. It's driving up the cost of wages. And, and you and I have lived long enough to know that we've seen the price of wheat go up and down. We've seen the price of gasoline at the pump go up and down, but I've never seen wages go down. Once they've went up, and I've never seen your utility bill go down once it's went up as well. So this inflation is happening. It's a social injustice. It's going to hurt people. Uh, it's going to hurt really seniors at home that are on fixed incomes, and it's going to hurt those young families that are living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, exactly. Last question before we let you go. I know you're busy. Senator Roger Marshall from here in the state of Kansas. Let's talk about immigration for a second. We saw the uh, half-attempted tour from Vice President Kamala Harris going around to Guatemala, going to Mexico. She kind of got booted out of both countries, didn't do a whole lot. Still has yet to reach the southern border, which I do enjoy Congressman Lauren Boebert from Colorado going down there with a cardboard cutout of her. Uh, that was quite entertaining, but uh, while she makes a statement saying that we are going to turn people away at the border, 
I, I just chuckle because I don't know where that message is coming from as they're the party of just stopping uh, or doing the catch and release program. So just letting people come in. We have facilities that are at 800 percent capacity down there. But yet now we're going to start turning people away. It just it doesn't make sense to me. Andy, we're, we're calling this the evasion tour by the vice president. She evaded touring the place where she needed to go. Um, I think it's very, very clear what's causing this mass uh, crisis at the border are this administration's policies. You know, first of all, they got rid of President Trump's stay in Mexico policy, but really it was the invite. And even the president from Guatemala said this, just to, I mean, blatantly contraindicated what, what, the, what the vice president said. He said, look, the people here hear loud and clear the message from your White House. Come, bring us, bring everybody. You're going to get amnesty. We're going to give you free health care. Uh, we're going to give you your own doctor, your own psychologist, your own nurse. Uh, we're going to put you up in a hotel. Come on now. Now's the time to do it. Amnesty for everybody. Open borders, right? So that's what they're hearing right now. Meanwhile, she wants to talk about the root of the problem. And I don't think she has any concept of what the root of the problem is. The biggest root, of course, is, is her own policy. Andy, I took, um, through my lifetime, I've done lots of medical mission work, including multiple times to Mexico and to Central America. And, and I've been to the border three times, so I'm able to draw on some personal experiences. When we went to Honduras, the first thing I noticed as we left the airport and we were headed up to this beautiful mountain uh, to work with uh, some, some, a mission, some mission groups there established by a Baptist church uh, from Salina, Kansas, actually, we went up there to set up a surgical hospital for them. And we passed multiple factories that were closed down. And I said, what happened here? Why are these factories shut down and what did they do? Well, they, they made T-shirts, they made tennis shoes, stuff like that. But when China came into the WTO, I think about 2002, all those jobs went away, right? So this is a great opportunity for the United States to go back and reestablish those trade policies with those Central American countries. Let's bring some of those jobs from China back over here to this continent. Uh, let's give them a stronger economy, make North America safer, and make our borders safer as well. So that, that's just one example. We should be talking about solutions, but the vice president is simply making this worse. She's a hypocrite. Again, she's saying one thing, their policies are another. Yeah, what a concept. A left wing trying to uh, be a hip, uh, trying to be the hypocrites doing what they want to do while saying something completely different. And you're right, bringing jobs back to America uh, right now. I love it. Senator Roger Marshall uh, from the state of Kansas here. We always appreciate it. God bless you and what you're doing. I know you're working so hard, and we appreciate hearing everything that you're doing. Keep up the fight, and we'll talk to you again here real soon. Thanks, Andy. Everybody keep praying. That's U.S. Senator Roger Marshall. We sat down with him yesterday, and we appreciate his time very much. If you've noticed, he's one of the senators that's out there all over the place on national media, on talk radio shows, on TV networks, talking about the latest and what's going on. He has been a firebrand. He is representing Candace, and I couldn't be more proud of him. So we appreciate everything he's doing. We love him to death. And keep up the fight, my friend, because we're here to make sure that that agenda continues with you. We appreciate that. We'll take a break. Get ready to wrap up hour number one. Candace Talk. Lots more coming up for hour number two with a lot more guests, a lot more discussion, trying to keep you entertained and informed right here in the Wichita area over the weekend. It's Candace Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM.
Welcome back into the program. Just about a minute before we wrap up for this hour. It goes by way too fast. When we come back, it's going to be a fun hour with us in hour number two at Kansas Talk. Make sure to stay tuned in. Wichita Chamber of Commerce. What's going on in the city now that we're opening back up after COVID-19 and with uh, businesses trying to get back at it? We'll talk about the labor shortage. We'll talk about uh, businesses trying to open up all the festivities going on. We talked with Brian Fry, Wichita City Council, about some of that Last week's, we'll talk about that with the Wichita Chamber of Commerce with Andrew Wines coming up here in the next segment. Also, uh, Gail Goolsby, she'll be with us in studio at the bottom of next hour to wrap up the show. Unveiled Truth, local author with her experience teaching in Afghanistan. I know, it's pretty awesome. So we'll talk about her experience and what she saw and uh, what she was able to bring home with her, with some of her messages, with some of her uh, experiences that she got to have. And I think that's really super cool. So we'll talk about that. Uh, in hour number two. It's a big show. Lots of things happening. Now that it's summertime, I realize that things are going extremely fast, and we got to try and keep up with all of it the best that we possibly can. It's Kansas Talk. Hour number one's all wrapped up right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Hour number two at Kansas Talk. Boy, it goes by way too fast. We need like four hours of this stuff. Yeah, welcome back in. Great to have you today on Kansas Talk on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM, KQAM, 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, we'd love to hear from you. Big program today. We've had uh, a lot of ground. Thanks again to U.S. Senator Roger Marshall coming on the program. Always good to chat with him. All presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity. All of your gold and silver needs. It's Phil's Coins. Make sure to check them out. They're open right now until 2.30 this afternoon, as always, for a Saturday. One of the few places, not just in the state, but in the entire Mid-America region that actually has gold and silver on hand with such a high demand right now. You go anywhere else, they have like a three-week waiting list because of how uh, how much people actually want to get, but he's got it. It's hard for him to get it right now, but he's got it. Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue, also online at philscoins.com. I want to shift gears a little bit here for the kickoff of hour number two as we're talking about what's going on here in the city of Wichita. We have the summertime now, obviously. It's only been 95 degrees outside lately. <laughs> and as we have festivities opening back up, finally, we have businesses opening back up after the COVID stuff and the wrap-up of the 2021 legislative session. So, in studio, it's we've it's been a while since we've had you in studio. Last year sometime. Yeah, from the Wichita Chamber of Commerce, Andrew Weens with us. Andrew, what's going on, dude? Oh, not much. Thanks for having me on the show, Yeah, Andy. Always good here. to talk to you. Yeah, it's always good. Uh, you guys have been extremely busy. Last time we talked to you, you guys were uh, working with businesses, trying to keep things on track the best you could with COVID. Yeah. So a little bit different situation now, isn't it? Yes. I think we've you know turned a corner and feels like we're in a good spot and the economy is recovering, especially in Kansas. Um, you know, I think businesses are reopening, starting to sell stuff. Now, obviously, you have your own set of challenges now with um, kind of constrained supply chains like Senator Marshall was talking about. You have the inflation. You have the labor shortage, not being able to hire workers because they're getting the additional extended unemployment benefits. <laughs> so 
Uh, That's controversial, you know. You know, yeah, it is. It is <laughs> not amongst the business community, though. The business yeah. community, and I think a lot of a lot of Kansans realize that it just doesn't make sense. Um, you got to stop paying people not to work. And really, I don't fault the people who are on unemployment, who have been struggling, and who are taking the extra unemployment benefits. They're making an economically rational decision. Sure. But it's a bad policy. It's a bad incentive, and the federal government needs to end it. And right now, the state government could end it with Governor Kelly deciding to stop the extended unemployment benefits. She could use that funding if she wants for a back-to-work bonus or to help with child care assistance or um, funding that you could be used to incentivize people to get back to work instead right. of not work. So we're encouraging the governor to do that, and, and hopeful she'll make that change, although we're getting up to the September deadline here pretty shortly. You know, it's going to be a few months still, but sure. uh, businesses are hurting for workers, and that's one tool that we can we can use to get them workers. Yeah, I definitely so want to it. talk about that here in just a little bit. And I know we've been working with Alan Cobb. We've had some, you know, just uh, uh, scheduling conflicts where we haven't been able to re- really connect. But I know that the Kansas Chamber of Commerce has been working. They sent that letter to Governor Kelly with a lot of businesses that signed on saying to end those unemployment benefits because of this labor shortage going on. So we'll get to that in, in just a second. But you guys were extremely busy during the legislative session this year yes. as well, working to represent the city of Wichita businesses around here. What did you guys get accomplished? Because uh, overall, the legislative session was a huge success in my mind for a lot of issues, um, but it sounds like you guys had some good success as well. Yeah, definitely, Andy. Um, I would say, and I've, I've talked to our uh, contracted legislative consultant who's been around for a while doing the Wichita Chamber gig um, and others, and this has been the best legislative session the Wichita Chamber has had in at least a decade, probably longer. Um, so part of that is just natural. Last session got upended by COVID midway through. There was a lot of bills still hanging out there that maybe probably would have passed. You know, the legislature is like a good high school or college student. They kind of <laughs> procrastinate until the night before the deadline to get their stuff done, right? And that's just natural human nature. So there was a lot of bills that didn't get passed last year that should have. Sure. Um, so, so part of that, uh, the successes this year that we accomplished were because we had all these bills that were sort of ready to go from last year, and you just had to do some hearings and get them through. But it's not like it's a done deal. You know, you still got to do it, go through the process. You, you have a governor um, who's a Democrat. You have the legislature, overwhelming Republican majorities. And, yeah, we still accomplished more than we ever thought we could. So um, a couple of the highlights. I mean, I think we talked unemployment a little bit. The unemployment insurance reform bill is one of the biggest successes we had this session. Um, they're going to fix the system. They're, they're putting together a council that will work on the IT infrastructure and get the system better so that employees, employers – you know, can go through it. The, the folks who deserve the benefits get them when they should. Sure. And the employers can report layoffs faster. It's not paper. You don't have all this fraud that, I mean, we saw waves, you know, wave after wave of fraud in especially early this year in January. And I'm sure a majority of your listeners probably either got told that they were laid off or, you know, and had been awarded benefits or, you know, they laid off some of their employees, what have you. So, so that bill was huge. It also included a provision, which I don't know if you've talked about um, on the show with any of the legislators you've had on, but it's called My Reemployment Plan. It was something that was put into place actually when I was working for the state um, under Governor Collier that allows the Department of Commerce to work with the Department of Labor and figure out who's on unemployment and how can we help them get a job faster so that they're not exhausting their unemployment benefits. You work with the workforce centers, you work with you know, resume writing, skills building, soft skills, and try to get these folks matched to employers who need to hire people. Sure. Um, so that's that's a key point cool. as well uh, on that unemployment insurance reform bill. It also lowers the rate tables for unemployment taxes. 
So businesses, because that trust fund went down because of legit unemployment claims and then also because of the, all the fraud, um, their tax rates for UI were going to go up. And this kind of lowered that down, you know, made it less of a cliff. So businesses that were already hurting, that were shut down for a couple months last year, can't afford to pay, you know, an 800% increase on their unemployment taxes. That right. would put some small businesses out of business. So that was huge. We had the tax decoupling bill that we've been working on since 2018. Um, had to override the governor to get that one through, uh, but got <laughs> that course, done yeah. yeah, by the skin of our teeth. And that's, that's huge for businesses. Allows individual taxpayers to itemize at the state level, even if they don't itemize at the federal level with the higher standard deduction there. Um, so that's huge. There was a lot of economic development bills passed, angel investor tax credit, some HPIP changes, star bonds, um, just, just a whole slew of things. University Engineering Act that provides funding to graduate engineers from our region's universities. So wow. We're pretty excited about those. And then occupational licensing reciprocity. I don't know if you've talked about that here either, but that allows uh, people who move in from other states with a occupational license or a professional license, maybe a, a credential of some kind, to be able to start working faster. The licensing agencies in Kansas will be required to look at that license and say, you know, yeah, you're basically have the same scope of practice where you came from. So you can get approved in 45 days instead of, you know, taking an extra six months of training and and all that. So that should get folks into the labor force faster. Arizona, I think, was the first state to do that a couple of years ago. And they've seen thousands of people take advantage. I'm sure. not saying that we're going to see a thousand, you know, overnight move to Kansas and take advantage, but it'll help. And particularly military spouses who don't have a choice whether they move here. You know, you might have a, a cosmetology license in Arkansas or wh wherever, and then you move to Kansas because your spouse is, you know, stationed here. Sure. And, you know, you want to get a job, but the board here says, no, nope, you got to take another three months of training. Mm. just doesn't make sense. So let's get people back to work. Reciprocity with licenses. I like that. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Yeah. It sounds like Wichita's really is setting itself up for great initiative, great industry to come around here, and and some great expansion, which is what we're looking to do, isn't it? Yes. That, that's definitely that's what awesome. we're looking to do. And, and part of that is just... I think natural, you know, businesses getting back into the swing of things and selling goods and services and getting people into their, you know, bricks and mortar stores, selling more online. And part of that, I do think there's a there's a real palpable momentum in the community and in the region. Feels like we're growing. Uh, stuff's happening. There's construction projects going on. We've got a new baseball team, new baseball stadium. You know, there's just yeah. a lot going on. Events are starting back up again, as you mentioned. I think we just had uh, part one of Riverfest. Uh, was it last weekend? That's right. Maybe? Yeah. The big the big show is left to go this fall, but but obviously things are starting to move and it and it feels good and concerts are coming back. Concerts. We got trivium oh coming goodness. here in August. Heck yeah! Come on, man. I that's mean, great. That's, uh, oh yeah, a lot of that stuff. Yeah, just kind of faded away. I mean, it was it was rough for a while there, and yeah, obviously we're bringing all that back and and. Um, yeah, it's, it's all good. So let's yeah. keep it rolling. Right? Let's keep it rolling. No, absolutely. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK if you want to join in. If you have any questions for the Wichita Chamber of Commerce, which we have a call on the line. So let's go right to that here, shall we? Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? This is Frederick. Frederick, how are you, sir? I'm fine. Um, uh, yesterday, I went to a funeral, and believe it or not, uh, your your guest is talking about opening everything up. Yesterday, although it's sad to go to a funeral, yesterday, would you believe that not one person wore a mask, not even the mortuary people? Wow. People greeted one another with hugs. People greeted one another with handshakes. We're getting back to Everything normal. Was, right. Yes, it was normal. And I thought to myself, you know, this is so wonderful. And 
we need to open everything up, and I'm so thankful that the gentleman you have there wants to open everything up because during the past year, I've had several good friends that, um, be quite honest with you, have not had funerals or uh, they were postponed and nobody was notified. And if they did have one, it was just a small little family gathering. So yesterday, although it was sad, it was so wonderful to see a lot of people show up, no mask, no even a talk of a mask, no talk of COVID, no talk of anything. It was just a, um, although it's kind of, it was just a wonderful experience to be back to normal and have, this sounds kind of strange, but have a normal funeral. And it was yeah. so wonderful. And I'm just all for all of that. But I'm so sad that uh, seems like the, the, the governor, she just wants to, keep us back in the stone age for some reason i think she just wants to have control i don't know what it is but i'm just going to disregard it and i i have been in many many stores during the past week and stores are opening up people are not wearing masks uh even some of the store employees have are not wearing masks anymore and it's just so wonderful so all the encouragement that you get guests can give to open this city up to just being normal is so wonderful anyway take care Hey, it's good. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan Bargino, I love the guy. That was an excellent choice. You did good, Dandy. Hey, well, we <laughs> appreciate that, and we love having Dan Bongino on the program. We're going to play an interview with Dan Bongino next Saturday as well, so don't miss that one because uh, you're right. He's a great guy now. Uh, are you familiar with Dan Bongino? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, oh, man, great, great host. We have him now live 11 to 2 here on KQAM and uh, good stuff. So, Frederick, we appreciate that, and yes, you're right. I love seeing things back opened up again. It's really good to see from businesses to events to where you can just go. You don't need to worry about the mask. You don't need to worry about um, the, the, the quote-unquote social distancing. We can just go and just get back to normal. It feels really good. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, it feels great. Let's take a break here. It's 18 minutes past the hour. When we come back, I want to talk about some of the events going on, what you guys are working on right now going into summertime, because now businesses are trying to reopen. Events are happening. I'm sure that's uh, making you guys extremely busy, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. So we'll talk about that when we come back here as well. If you want to call in, 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. It's Kansas Talk right here on The Big Talker, KQAM. Twenty-two minutes past the hour. Hey, welcome back into Kansas Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, super excited to have in studio with us Gail Goolsby. She is the author of Unveiled Truth: Lessons I Learned at Leading the International School of Kabul in when her trip in Afghanistan. Amazing book. It's really great. It's a great experience. We look forward to chatting with her, local author here from the Wichita area. Speaker that she travels all around the country talking about some of her messages and we'll look forward to chatting with her in studio in just a little bit right now andrew weens wichita chamber of commerce hanging out with us here talking about some of the latest now we have as we mentioned a lot of fun events festivities happening you got the wind surge ball cap on right now yes, rocking sir. that yep. uh, which you can hear those games over on our sports station kgso uh, every single night uh, uh we're excited for that one we have the uh, Sunflower Collegiate League with baseball going on right now as well. As you mentioned, we had Riverfest last week. I am super excited about Trivium. So there are two concerts I already have tickets for. Oh, really? That is Ew. Trivium over at the Cotillion. 
and then a more harder metal band, Ginger, up in Kansas City. Oh, nice. I've already, and that's in November. So I've already awesome. got these tickets. We're already laid out. We have uh, Joe Rogan coming later on this year as oh, well. I didn't that was, hear that. Yeah. So apparently he was supposed to be here last year, but got canceled because of COVID. Where's he going to be at? Uh, he's going to be at Interest Bank Arena. Makes sense. So I bet he draws a crowd. I'm ready to buy those tickets as well. Like I am oh, yeah. so pumped for yes. this year because things are happening. Heck I yeah. can mosh pit again. I can do things again. I, I can know. come back with black eyes and broken ribs. <laughs> <laughs> Just another day in the life. Huh, another Andy? day in the life of Andy Hoosier. <laughs> That's, That's <awesome>. right. <laughs> so with you guys, with the with all these festivities going on right now, with businesses starting to open up, what's your role and what are you guys working on to help try yeah. and make this happen as efficient and good as possible in the Wichita area? Yeah, so we've got a couple cool events coming up for the Wichita Chamber. We have one uh, called a State Legislative Appreciation Dinner coming up on June 22, and we're actually going to host that at Riverfront Stadium at the Wind Surge nice. Ballpark. Very good. It'll be when they're out of town for a week, but... It's a time that we invite all of our South Central legislative delegation, invite them all, come out, you know, bring your spouse or whatever, and we'll uh, do kind of a networking reception with members of the business community and then sit down and have dinner, have a brief program thanking them for their service. Cool. And that's one we try to do annually, but last year, as you might expect, we didn't have that. Yeah. Um, so we're getting back into it. Got a new venue at Riverfront Stadium. Going to do a little tour, show off the new ballpark. So that's going to be cool. a blast. And then I, I do want to ask you real yeah. quickly to, to yeah. interrupt in there. So we talked about the venues with all the concerts and stuff coming up right now. In uh, in utilizing some of those, the we heard the story about a lot of these music venues right now. The the Cotillion, the Wave, a lot of these yep. places that have been really struggling this last year, not being able to get finances. Uh, they applied for some federal aid, trying to get money to come in to cover a lot of these. Mm-hmm. Um, but they applied for those in back in like April, still have not seen a lot of money come in. Have you guys been able to work with them at all or help those yeah. those guys at all try and survive and actually get business? Because like the Cotillion, they ran a story in the news this week saying we have our first big concert and it's sold out. We don't have the money up front to pay the band because of this last year without wow. without anything happening wow. and with no federal aid coming in to help the business. Yeah. Adam Hartke, um, who runs Wave and then also is involved with the Cotillion and probably some other stuff in town. We worked with him particularly during... When, when COVID was, you know, a little worse back last year and trying to figure out some way to help these venues out. Yeah. Um, and they ended up getting, you know, legislation passed, some stimulus funding to help help the venues that hadn't made money for really almost a year. Yeah. And, you know, now we're dealing with, unfortunately, kind of bureaucratic red tape and hurdles and, you know, the rules are coming out and guidance is coming out later and then it'll change. And, you know, and, and really getting money into the into those communities that have those venues. It's been a slow process. Um but, I mean, he's doing a great job. You know, his team's doing a good job. We've got other venue, you know, owners, proprietors in town that are doing a great job trying to make it work. Right. And like you said, I think the biggest solution is not going to be the federal stimulus money to help them out. That's, you know, I think it was probably appropriate and, and needed for those folks um, who were forced to not make money. Um, but the biggest solution is getting back into business, right? right. Um, getting those shows, getting people in there. Um, and you are going to have those hurdles like you talked about. You can't even, you don't have the money to pay the band. So hopefully they're being flexible and saying, hey, we'll show up and, you know, you guys will take your gates and, you know, pay us later. Hopefully, you know, I hope, I hope they're Something, able to work yeah. that out. Yeah. I mean, once I get back into the swing of things, obviously people want to go back. So I don't think it's going to be a hard time filling seats or I filling agree. the venues. Pent up demand. It, exactly. With the pent up demand, it's just trying to get things up and going again. It's just, it's frustrating because that's been one industry where everybody else has kind of gotten some relief or some kind of help. And those guys are like, yeah, but yeah. our entire business revolves around mass amounts of people in a small oh, tight space oh, exactly yeah even so. more than a lot of yeah than a lot of business types and industry types i mean you can kind of make it work with the carry out for restaurants depending on you know what restaurant i'm not saying it's easy and a lot of them hurt really badly yeah but 
by and large, yeah, the, the venue, the concert event venue business is built around getting a lot of people in that space that you built. And, you know, you've got a bunch of fixed costs and you've got to recover those. The way to do that is getting people in there. So if I have to mosh pit, um, uh, do the mosh with a mask, I'll be really upset. Yeah, or with like <laughs> only three people. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't be really either. make it. It doesn't yeah. help a whole lot. Not the same. No, uh, we got just a couple minutes left here. Um, last year during COVID, we had like the open air ICT. You mm-hmm. guys worked with the city. I know uh, trying to get businesses to open things up. Are are we? Talking about doing something similar again this year, I know we don't have the social distancing rules or the mask mandates now, but are a lot of businesses looking at trying to go back out onto the street to be more accessible to people? Yeah, I think so, Andy, and I I wish I could give you the date. Um, I want to say they have a date announced for this year for the open streets uh, ICT thing, which is the the deal where they close off Douglas and do that, you know, on a Sunday or whatever. I think that's happening. The open air ICT where you're talking about restaurants like putting tables out on the patio and all that. That got extended by city council, um, I should know, I think five years. Um, they're they're oh, going really? to okay. keep allowing folks to do that. And cool. I know some businesses, restaurants, and retail have been able to make money doing that, where you have, you're able to kind of take over part of a sidewalk or a parking area and, and what have you. And, and, you know, I think that's all good. You know, give businesses more flexibility to serve customers, right? Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, same thing, I mean, with the, I mean, I, I think – the positive silver lining with COVID was that we were able to adapt and kind of change things a little bit that might be permanent for the long haul. I mean, with yep. the to-go liquor cups for many fast food yes. restaurants or the liquor stores, that sort of thing as well, having the cup kind of sealed up and taken away. I mean, a lot of these initiatives we did during COVID to survive are kind of good ideas that we may just move forward with on a permanent basis. Yeah. Oh, amen. And they did change some of the, I didn't, I don't track that as part of my day job necessarily. There's industry groups that do um, a lot of focus work on that, but there were some some liquor uh, bills passed this year in the yeah. legislature that do loosen up uh, things a little bit and, and do it in a smart way. But I mean, we made it work during COVID. Why can't we, why can't we keep it going and, and do the to-go drinks and, and stuff like that? So I think that's, that's a great thing. And hopefully we can do that with some of the other restrictions that were loosened during COVID on licensing, for instance. Uh, yeah. So, so hopefully that happens. Um, I saw Open Streets ICT. That's September 19, I believe, this year. Coming up in um, don't September. Don't on that, but take a peek. And then, yeah, the open air thing will continue ongoing. We also at the Chamber have Honors Night coming up on July 22. Okay. Big event. Um, doing it at the Textron Aviation Activity Center where we honor uh, business professionals, young professionals, and companies that have been making a difference in Wichita for a long time. So excited about that. We're going to get several hundred people in the room and watch some videos and hear some speeches and honor some folks who've been titans of, of business and commerce in the region. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. Andrew Weens, Wichita Chamber of Commerce. Good to talk to you again, man. Yeah, it's you too, while. man. Yeah. Got to get you back in studio. And uh, everybody check out the Wichita Chamber of Commerce. But uh, we'll get another update from you again here real soon. Appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. Hey, always a good time. Bottom yep. of the hour. When we come back, Gail Goolsby, she'll be joining us here in studio. Gail Goolsby, author of Unveiled Truth. Looking forward to chatting with her when we come back here on Candace Talk on KQAM. Stay here. to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Wrapping up the last half hour. Good golly, it goes by way too fast. Thanks again to Andrew Weens coming on the program. Wichita Chamber of Commerce. Always great to chat with that guy. And we'll get him back on the program again real soon. The latest going on in the Wichita happenings right now. Riverfest last week. Part one of Riverfest. The rest of it coming up this fall. 
along with businesses opening. We didn't get a whole lot of a chance to talk about this labor shortage that's going on, although we will get Alan Cobb with the Kansas Chamber of Commerce coming on the program in the next couple of weeks. We've just had some uh, scheduling conflicts. I haven't been able to really match up our schedules to make it work. But as you know, they sent a letter to Governor Kelly with roughly 80-plus businesses advocating for the ending of the COVID-19 unemployment benefits in Kansas because we're working again. Businesses are open. We don't need it anymore. And we can use that money in other ways if we have to accept that money or take that money. So let's uh, convert it into something different, get people back to work, get people back into the restaurants, back into the bars and nightclubs, get things happening again, and we can have some fun and get fully reopened. I'm tired of talking politics, though. It's been crazy. So let's shift gears just a little bit for the last half hour of the program. I've been thumbing through this book here, Unveiled Truth, Lessons I Learned Leading a International School of Kabul. Really fascinating stuff from a local author right here in Wichita. So I had to get her on the program to talk about her experience because, as you know, I love learning about different cultures. I love learning about different ideas. And while we're a conservative talk radio program, um, one thing that I absolutely love is, even though I may not agree with other political viewpoints, we love to hear them to understand connecting dot A to dot B. Uh, And we do the same thing with culture, to learn about the culture, to learn about the way of life, to learn about... uh, How awesome. I mean, we have it here, which we sometimes don't necessarily uh, appreciate in many aspects. So in studio with us, the author of the book, Unveiled Truth, Gail Goolsby with us here. Gail, how are you? Hey, great. Thanks for having me. This is really great. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on the program very much. It's it's so cool to see someone travel, to not just travel to go as a touristy thing and kind of go around the world to see it, which is nice, but to actually be part of a culture for so long, to actually uh, live there to be part of it, and to try and help the communities. How long were you over there? So my husband and I were there 2005 to 2012. Wow. And we we came back. We were living in Missouri at the time, so we moved to Wichita in 2015. And uh, we love it here. We love it. It was an amazing time uh, when I was coming back and went through a lot of, you know, debriefing, trying to navigate the transition. and, And one of the counselors I was talking to, she goes, you know, I figured out who you remind me of. Like, I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> she said, uh, a war vet. I'm like, interesting. Okay. And she said, because for a lot of people that have that kind of, you know, hypervigilance, trauma issues, they don't want to do it again, but it yet was the most thrilling time of their life. And I would say, mm. okay, that's it. I don't really desire to go back and live in Afghanistan, especially today, right. what's going on. But it was something that I could never replace. I can imagine. I can imagine. Now, for those that may not have heard the book or may not know your story, just talk a little bit about what led you to go to Afghanistan and okay. what you did there. Yeah. So my husband's fault all the way. He had made some trips, short-term trips to Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, right after 9-11. And uh, it really captured his heart. He's a pastor, and it just was difficult to see so many people struggling in so many ways. And so here we are on a 25th anniversary. We're on a cruise. You know, we saved, worked up to that for a couple of years. And he's talking about, well, you know, let's look at the next 25 years. And okay, yeah, sounds fine. Great life going on, kids doing well. And he says, I, I feel the pull to move overseas. No. <laughs> no so no, anyway, that's where it started. And I said, I, I have no interest in that. And he goes, well, <laughs> you at least, you know, consider it, you know, pray about it. I'm like, well, okay, but it's not going to happen. As soon as I get back from that, I'm in my school office as a school counselor up in St. Joe, Missouri, and uh, and my my boss just comes in just out of the blue. Hey, I was in Colorado, this great meeting. They're starting a school in Afghanistan. I'm like, 
what? <laughs> and I remember thinking, if there was one thing that could pull me to something like that, it would be a school because I'm a career educator. Sure. And I'm thinking, no way, no way. But I began to do my research. And anyway, that's where the book starts. And that's kind of the story. That's how we got there. It was because of the school. So you moved to Afghanistan to teach children. Now, what age group did yeah. you teach? So so during the Bush years, when they were doing the whole big 20 billion USAID project to Afghanistan, Laura Bush, former mm-hmm. educator, librarian, librarian, she said, if we don't have a K-12 school and an American university, families aren't going to stay very long. I mean, the kids need education. So you'll have one parent there and, you know, the mom or whatever in another country. So that was part of what they were looking for. So they went around trying, you know, they were mandated, State Department people, like, we got to get a school. You know, yeah. White House says we got to have a school. So a school started in 2003, and it was just a shoestring budget. Teachers were coming, bringing their own support, borrowing books. But they started a school um, with a, just a NGO, a non-governmental organization, and they got approached by the white, the, the State Department to, to apply for the grant to be the American school. Yeah. So in 2005, ISK, the International School of Kabul, opened up as a USAID project. And so then we recruited and we, but the difference was now there was salaries, there was help for security, there was, you know, there was a way to do it right. Right. And so it was a K-12 school, and so um, I applied. I'd been teaching kindergarten. I'd been school counselor. I thought, you know, I'll just go back and do that. But there wasn't people lined up to be in leadership. Can you imagine? Nobody really wanted to go to Afghanistan to be a principal or a director. <laughs> so the head of the organization that was uh, receiving the grant, he talked me into being the principal because I'd had administrative experience. So I went as the principal okay. of ISK in 2005. Sure. Wow, how amazing. Now, so you got to oversee, what was the school? Was it like a K through 12? Was it K just a 12, middle school? Okay. Right. We didn't graduate. The, we, we just went to 10th grade and 11th grade the first couple of years because we didn't, we wanted to make sure, because we were going for you. I mean, they have a U.S. diploma. It was an accredited school. We went through the wow. whole thing that everybody does in the U.S., got accredited so that the diploma would mean something so they could apply to colleges anywhere mm-hmm. in the world. Um, so we didn't graduate the first year or so, but uh, yeah. And then we added preschool. And so we had about, by the time I left in 2012, there's almost 400 kids in the school. 400. Wow. That's about the, that was about my school in uh, in Colorado. (laughs) That was about it. So that's amazing. We had about, you know, any, any given year we could have 11 to 20 graduates. Okay. Go out. And uh, yeah, we had, it was a, it was a full out thing. Now, you wouldn't recognize it in a way that we have it because we just rented buildings and turned them into school buildings or sure. staff dormitories because there wasn't anything. And foreigners can't own property in Afghanistan. Right. You can lease it for 99 90 or whatever. Forever. Right. But, uh, yeah, so we just kind of took over a, a street outside of the downtown area of Kabul called the suburbs, although it wasn't like any suburb I ever lived in. <laughs> uh, no sidewalks, no whatever. Anyway, they... Um, uh, we got help with all of that so that we could really put together a quality thing. But we shipped our books. We shipped everything over from the U.S. because there was nothing in Kabul that wow. was at the standard we were going for. Now, talk about the the actual education part of it with children. I mean, did they speak English? Did you have to have translators? Did you teach it in their language? I mean, how did that work? So we were a full-out American school. So all of our teachers were degreed, credentials, English speakers. They didn't have to be American. We had some from U.K., Uganda. Canada, but they had to be. So we were all in English. Okay. So to bring in a student, you had to at least, especially getting to the upper elementary, they had to have some English. 
the ones in the little grades, we're all learning phonics together. So we took non-English young, you know, children through like second, third grade, and we just all learned it together, and that worked pretty well. But if you know, if they brought me a a, a bearded fourteen-year-old young man who'd never had English, <laughs> and they want me to say, just put him in there with the you know first graders, I'm like. Mm. No, we don't, we don't really do it that way. Yeah. So we we turned away a lot of of national students who wanted to come, because they just didn't have the. But we worked hard. We did have ESL support, but we did not teach in, you know, a bilingual situation. It was all in English. Interesting. Now, what was the acceptance of the town around it? Did they enjoy that? Did they think it was kind of an infringement upon them? Just you know, an, an American English teaching school come in, starting to teach all their kids. Uh, were they happy, or were they kind of uh, wary no. of it? No, no, no. They did not want us there. Did not need us there. We had, we did not have friends in the Ministry of Education at that level. Sure. Now the higher level, the ministers themselves, who were, you know, people who'd probably lived in other countries, they knew that this is the way forward. Build a quality school. This was the most prestigious school in the country. Um, they, they really helped us. So we were recognized as a real school in 2008. Big press conference. Signed all these documents. But the people who really kind of carry the power are the people who have the first desk you hit when you walk into any of those places and they would act like they'd never heard of us and so when mm. kids would need to transfer in and out they, they they weren't really friendly to that but most of our kids their parents were leaders in government business they wanted their kids to have a high level education so they they weathered those storms even we were the only co-ed school sure was in afghanistan girls and guys don't go to school oh, together that's true They're okay separate. So we took it on the chin for that. The girls took it on the chin for that, but they worked hard, and their dads and supported them, which is where it really matters. Sure. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, there was a struggle with that, but we had, um, you know, it was all kind of a, of course, nobody in Afghanistan taking all that money is going to act like they don't love Americans. <laughs> so we never really had it always overtly, but it was under, it was, you know, it was kind of the undercurring. Well, I can imagine that those parents that did take their kids there, like, wow, they're getting an American education. They're taking their kids to a whole new level as opposed to what we kind of have here. So, I mean, I'm sure they were pretty grateful of it. I think they were. I mean, we had a lot of support for them. Now, culturally, you talk about that. So here we are running an American school yeah. with, you know, calendars and daily assignments and attendance thing. That is, that's foreign stuff. It took me probably two years to really get the message that we all take a break when the schools close. But you want to take your kids for two weeks to India to celebrate a one-year, you know, death of a, a relative, that's going to be painful for you because the teacher's not going to reproduce two weeks of work mm. for you. So go when we're all closed and we'll be happy to get That took a long time to get them to understand they... So they, just their time frame and just their, their daily scheduling is just totally different. They, I mean, they, they would take a test at the end of the year to decide the promotion to the next grade. So daily grades were, I mean, the teachers didn't always show up. So the attendance was not wow. really a big thing in Afghan schools. That system was really struggling to work its way back to a level of competency. So, so we had that culture going on. And they would even say, well, these are important times for Afghans. I'm like, well, you brought your kids to an American school, which is it's not a birthright. Sure. It's, it's an opportunity, but you don't have to be here. Right. So we, we struggled, and it took a lot of backbone to do that, especially as a female and a male dominated. So I had a, I had a director boss. He handled government, security, budget. I yeah. handled families, <laughs> pencils, books, and kits. So sure. I was the one where got a lot of that pushback. But I'm glad you mentioned while, that because that was my next question is, you know, just that respect of women and you being as the principal of this school, was that difficult talking to these families when the, when the dad was – this is what we're going to do, and I'm not going to, you know, take your rules. Well, but but Afghan culture is very polite. 
when they enter good. your room, their opening statement would be, of course, you are the expert. And you're thinking, this is good. We can talk. <laughs> wow. But underneath that is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of charm, um, but they're really expecting. I, I learned early on, no doesn't really mean no in that culture. Mm. It, it probably just means keep asking. So, to you know, I didn't always have time to have the same conversation four or five times. You got, you know, you're busy. Principals are busy. So I learned early on to say, I understand what you're saying. It's not possible. And I remember the first time I did that, it was like a fire hose hit this guy. He's like, not possible? I mean, that really hit that he was, oh. that I was saying no, and it meant no. It meant no, sure. And I mean, I tried to work with them, but we need, I need to protect my teachers. They're yeah. living in, you know, working seven to five every day in a foreign place, not in their own home. I got to keep them upright or else, you know, what have we got here? So I worked with men mostly because the moms didn't know English. Mm. So most all my conversations were with men. And I remember thinking after I finished that job, I, was like, I don't think I ever want to be a principal. <laughs> it brings out a side of me I, I don't really like. But it would have taken somebody just like that because you just need to do it. And here's what I learned. They respected that. Sure. Because they knew I was being fair to everyone. I didn't treat their kids less or more than anybody else, which is Good. very anti-norm for that culture because there it's about position and it's a power structure. It's a caste system. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that they knew that the school, their kids were going to be treated fairly. So wow. eventually, that was a good message, but it took a while. Sure, how amazing! Let's take a break here. Forty-eight minutes past the hour. When we come back, I want to I want to talk about the safety concerns because of an ongoing conflict that was going on at that time. Plus, kind of what you you took away from it, what you're kind of talking about now, bringing it back to the home front and uh, those kids and kind of what they got away from this as well. So there's a lot of stuff uh, with it. It's a really great book, Unveiled Truth, Lessons I Learned Leading in the International School of Kabul. Gail Goolsby in studio with us here. We'll continue that when we come back here on Candace Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. Welcome back into the program. Just a few minutes before the top of the hour, wrapping up Joe Pegs live with the weekend coming up here on KQAM after us here on Kansas Talk goes by so fast. I could talk these types of stories for hours. I love hearing about people's personal experiences, different cultures, different lifestyles. And Gail Goolsby definitely did that teaching as a principal in Afghanistan for years. And uh, that's amazing. Let's talk about here real quickly the um, the the threats, the concern of safety. I mean, obviously, you're in a war-torn country right now. The military is involved in it all over the place. You guys are putting a school in to educate the children. What were the concerns? Did you guys have any close calls, and was that something that you were concerned about? Well, we included in our package was some you know top-level security. We had 24/7 armed guards, and we had you know the razor wire. You name it. We looked like a pretty secure compound, and we were approved for people to come and visit who were from, you know, government organizations. So there was we were always a soft target. We knew mm. that, but really the risk was the families who sent their kids to the school. They were people with means, and when you're in a desperate, war-torn country and you know people have what you think you need, we had kids who were carjacked, kidnapped, shot at, and moving around in the night to be in a different location. Um, we, never had, uh, we, we never had any attack on the school, but, but we had high-level people in our school, and so I would tell my administrative assistant, if these two families' kids don't come one day, you make a call. Find out what they know, because right. if they're not sending their kids, they must know something's going on. Um, but we shut down often, and we had all every day we had to check our security release whether we could even leave campus as foreigners. But it became a crazy normal. 
uh, this is just what we do. You you don't if you're if I had teachers who walked to school, they varied their their, you know, their journeys. They didn't go the same route every day. Right. Um, there were some times we had we had a mortar blast that happened near the school. It it blew out all our windows and for two or three blocks around, and we shut down. But we finally did all the intel, and they told us as best they could from ISAF to the American military. It wasn't us. It was just a random shot out in the in the night, and it happened to hit close to the school. So we, uh, th- but I will say the school ended up closing uh, January two thousand fifteen because. Things just kept getting worse. The Taliban used to target military, government. They didn't hit families, kids in school. Sometimes they would hit somebody, and the wife would be right there, and they wouldn't touch the wife. And mm. then in 2014, they kind of started lifting the filter, and they hit some schools, they hit some families. And they were just, we just, the school, I wasn't there, but I think their decision was right on. They felt like we're having people come every day, and we're putting them in danger, and we just can't take on that burden. So it, it shut down. So there is no more ISK right now, wow. which is one reason I want to write the book. Because the story deserved to be told. Those kids are in the world. They took what we had to offer, and they're doing something with it. Yeah, and that's what I want to ask. we got just a couple minutes left here. So talk about the the experience that you took away from it and from what you've seen from those children that went through this program and kind of where they're at now and the experience they got away from it. Well, that's kind of how I wrote the book. Each chapter has a lesson learned, which people could then hopefully make an application to their own life. And some of the things I learned about culture is, you know, some things are just different. They're not bad. They're not better. They're just different. But we should be open, and our country is diverse, and we should be open to learn and, and understand other people, or else you miss out on a lot of opportunity. Yeah. The kids graduated from there or even went for a few years. They have a value for education. They've seen what can be, and there a lot of them went on to college, the U.S., Dubai, Canada, Europe, you name it, and they're, they're using those, those experiences to talk about things in a different way, and I think it was worth it. You never worry about education. So you see, you see what happens. So opportunity for them to leave the country and be able to actually better themselves, to go on to college, to actually get a higher education, um, which is in turn making that country a better place because, you know, hopefully they can. Or representing their country wherever they go. Exactly. And so I still am friends with thousands of them on Facebook and we uh, keep up with each other and they're really trying to live a life that's that's valuable. That's amazing. Your website, gailgoolsby.com. You have your book. You can find the book on there. You can find it on Amazon as well. Uh, but what other things in, in just about the last minute or so here, what else are you working on? I saw that you're doing some Zoom conferences, some talking to people, but uh, what are you doing now? Well, I'm a credentialed life coach with the International Coach Federation, so that's my job that I do. I work with another telehealth company, too, as a behavioral coach. I do that. And, yeah, I have enjoyed speaking about the book in Afghanistan with people who like to learn, just like you, other cultures. So, I've done a lot of Zoom. I've got a couple in-person things now finally coming up, going to San Antonio this summer for a conference and, and, and do that. But, yeah, I'd love to. If groups want to want to hear about that, they're welcome to contact me through the website, and I'd be happy to help them out. That's amazing. In the last minute here, um, you being over there for so many years, your most unique experience or memory that you have, like the most bizarre food that you had, <laughs> most bizarre um, experience that you got to witness, what was the what was the thing that stuck out most? Well, this, does, this probably isn't as unique or crazy, but the hospitality of the Afghan people deserves to be noted. When, you, when they have you to their home, they want you to stay for hours. They invite you to spend the night. You live down the street. But they just really, they cook for hours, and they just give you so much attention and just enjoy that. That's worth mentioning because uh, even though we were foreigners, they were open to us. And so I have lots of sweet memories of time in Afghan homes with families. Oh, amazing. Do you ever see the camel spider? No. No? Okay. That was the rumor that I heard about military, about like these massive spiders that were running around the desert and uh 
Yeah, I, okay, I didn't know if that no, was something you ever thanks. saw. So. I'm glad I didn't. No, scorpions. We did see scorpions. Okay. But yeah, I had All to right. learn about those. Shake out your shoes before you put them on. Was it true it was like 100 degrees, 110 degrees every day? No, no, no. We were high, we were high desert in Kabul, and it's kind of like Denver. It's in a bowl with mountains all around it. But we okay. had the four seasons. I mean, it, really? it, it could be intense in the summer, but winters were freezing. Really? And no central heat. So, uh, yeah. That's <laughs> you my, my had to experience part. the best of both worlds then, right? <laughs> I had no idea that we actually had cold weather in Afghanistan. That's unique. Yeah. So, yeah. very interesting. I love it, Gail. It's so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. Uh, the book, Unveiled Truth, you can find that on Amazon, also on the website at gailgoolsby.com. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. It's a great thank experience. You. I'm glad this you shared that. Fun. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll have to do this again here again soon. Wrapping up the show today, next week, we got a heck of a show lined up for you. We have our interview with Dan Bongino, our new show from 11 to 2 middays here on KQAM, plus Dr. Devin Verana, acupuncturist, chiropractor, about an event she's got going on here in the Wichita area and some discussion about holistic health and COVID-19. We'll go down that road a little bit, plus Congressman Ron Estes, all that and more next week on Candace Talk. Until then, everybody have a great weekend. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you next time. 